I'm going to be reading the scripture, John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17, reading in the English Standard Version. This chapter starts with one of Jesus' great declarations, I am the vine. In the book of John, he has seven great I am statements, like, I am the light of the world. I am the door. In this case, he says, I am the vine. And we're going to be looking forward to what Philip has to tell us about it. Reading verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and they're thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, listen up, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends, and you are my friends if you do, what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Our Father in heaven, we come before you and reminded that the Lord Jesus, whom you sent, is the true vine, and we are simply branches. And in addition to that, you have commanded us to love one another. Lord, it's not always easy, but we know that you give us strength and you cause us to grow. Lord, bless Philip's words to us that your spirit would speak to our hearts, that we in turn may learn to love you 
and to love each other. And it's in your name, Lord, that we pray. Amen. Someone asked me if I was nervous to get up here, and I, I guess a little bit. It's been a while since I preached here, but I'm actually quite nervous in the high school these days because of hecklers. Um, so I get heckled quite a bit. Our youth group has grown to the point where it's always interesting. You never know. It's not just the, the unchurched kids. It's those Collins kids and others. So <laughs> they know me like family. Um, I just want to set the stage a little bit of context for the passage that we just read before I get into it. And these are the last words of a man who is about to die. It's rare we have that ability in our life, right? Um, that we know when we are about to die. It's rare that it happens to people. I think a good illustration for this is some, I'm going to read two um, transcripts of people that called their family on 9-11 two of the planes, because I, set, I think it sets us in the right course for this um, really upper room discourse of Jesus, because like about half of the book of John 13 on is the last words of Jesus to his disciples. So I think that's really, really important for us, and I'll talk about that more in a second. So these are uh, the last words of two people before they died. Brian David Sweeney, 39, a passenger, on flight 175, left a voicemail for his wife, Julie, four minutes before the plane crashed into World Trade Center's South Tower. Jules, this is Brian. Listen, I'm on an airplane that's been hijacked. If things don't go well and it's not looking good, I just want you to know I absolutely love you. I want you to do good, go have good times, same to my parents and everybody, and I just totally love you, and I'll see you when you get there. C.C. Lyles, a flight attendant who was on board United Airlines Flight 93, which crashed into a field in Pennsylvania, left this message for her husband. Hi, baby. I'm, you have to listen to me carefully. I'm on a plane that's been hijacked. I'm on the plane. I'm calling from the plane. I want to tell you that I love you. Please tell my children that I love them very much. And I'm so sorry. I don't know what to say. There's three guys. They've hijacked the plane, and I'm trying to be calm. We're turned around, and I heard there's other planes that have flown into the World Trade Center. I hope to be able to see your face again, baby. I love you. Goodbye. And I think there's a lot of similarities in what these people said to their loved ones and what Jesus is saying to us and to his disciples in that last few hours of his life. And that's, that's important. And the funny thing about it is, it's filled with joy. <laughs> you know, these people, there's a lot of sadness. I don't know if they were believers or not, but Jesus' last words to his disciples contain a little bit different tone, don't they? In fact, quite a different tone. In the broader context, if you look at the book of John, he actually said, and I preached on this in the uh, service for the graduates, that he was going to leave them, and this caused quite a, quite a stir in chapter 14. And then actually this, in the more immediate context, is an answer to a question. And oftentimes, like Jesus does, he takes the questions that are given to him and answers the heart of the question, not the question directly. And so the question that he's answering is from 1422. It's from Judas, not Iscariot, Thaddeus, probably, the good one, okay? So this is Judas, the good one, right? Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? So what he's actually saying here is, I believe, when are you going to show who you really are? How can we know? How will the world know? How will I know you better? 
You, you are powerful. I mean, think about the things the disciples have seen. Miracles, deliverance, resurrections, nothing, and then bread in the book of John, right? Think about what Jesus has done with them, things that no one else has ever done. It's like politics, man. He's like, you got to, you know what? To let people know how great you really are and to let them love you, get them to love you, you got to tell them how great you really are. You got you to manifest yourself. They got to know you by that. And Jesus, in his classic way, redirects them. And he's going to tell them how they can really know him, how they can be really intimate with Jesus. And that's the subject of my message today, intimacy with Christ. We're going to look at how that happens and and who causes it, and what is intimacy, and what's the fruit of it, and what are the privileges and responsibilities of intimacy with Christ from John chapter 15. And really, I just want to remind you to stir you up to good works and love, because I think most of you have heard this before. But if not, great, this will maybe be a first exposure to real intimacy with Christ, and that's our need. That is our one true need now and forever, is intimacy with the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And it never stops. We'll never know him fully in eternity. Otherwise, we'd be God. And so that's the trajectory we're on right now, is knowing him more and becoming more intimate with him. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And really, really, that's important because a lot of things in our life try to sever us from the vine, don't they? They try to cut off our intimacy, fear, leads to doubt and mistrust of him and his promises. Pain and death threaten our soul and try to tear us out of the vine. Our own actions and sin come up and threaten to divert our lives. Betrayal and loss eat at our souls and rip apart our families. And I'm sure some of you have experienced that. Work is hard. Parenting is something else. <laughs> hard to say the least. Marriage can consume us. Extended family commitments overwhelm us. The culture opposes us and always has. And so intimacy with Christ becomes a difficult thing. So I just want to talk about that again today. I hope to remind you again from John 15. And I want to start in verses 1 through 3. I'll walk you through. And the first question I think Jesus answers in response to Judas, but really for all of us is, who makes intimacy with Christ happen? And this is where I really started to fully, again, understand this passage better. And I love there, there was a sermon I was listening to, and it's like, you know, we think this passage is all about Jesus, and it, it, it is in a way, but Jesus begins this passage not about himself. Let's read verses 1 through 3. If you have your Bible, you can open it. I'm reading from the ESV as well. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. So you see what he's doing? He's directing us to the father. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And so I think a couple of notes here that we really want to say. First of all, I love this because of the word you are clean. That's a weird thing. Speaking clean. Well, I think this is just the way of setting the tone in the passage that Jesus is saying, you are in my family. You are in me because you have believed, excuse me, believed the word I have spoken to you. And that's faith. 
I just want to be clear that this is, a, this is a passage with his closest followers. These are believers in him. How does one enter into that relationship? Believing in his words. Faith alone and Christ alone. So he's saying, you know what? You're clean. In John 13, he also talked about that, right? You're clean already. So you're in me. How do we stay in Christ? How do we have that intimacy with him? Well, the Father is doing his work. Here's something that's really crazy. I am the vine, right, okay? This is really important for us to understand. Did you know that every single instance of I am the vine language in the Old Testament is negative? In other words, Israel failed every time to be the vine. That's crazy, every single one of them. And I didn't believe it when I heard it, when I read it, and I went and checked, and I I was like, okay, to the best of my knowledge, maybe you know one that I'm failing to see, but every single time, Israel fails. Let me read to you a couple of them. Isaiah 5. I'm not going to go there. I'll just read a snippet of it. You can write it down. A key passage here. It says, Israel is my vineyard. But when God looked for justice in his vineyard, he found bloodshed. He was looking for fruit and he found dead people. I think there's something there to think about both physically, dead babies all over the place, murder, sacrifice, but also spiritually dead people. In Jeremiah 2, negative as well. Degenerate and wild vine, okay? So it's like, not terrible, but it's not good. (laughs) Like, it's growing all over the place, not where he wanted it to grow in that illustration. Ezekiel 15, it really is the worst of them. In Ezekiel 15, Israel is a useless vine. I think that's the worst, because what do you do with a useless vine? You destroy it. And actually, that's what God did to his people there. Not all of them. A remnant was left. So, so here's the cool thing. Jesus is hitting them in the last hours of his life with this terrible negative experience they've been through and filling it with complete positivity in his life. He's saying this. One preacher said he's entering into the banner of failure over their lives and turning it into something positive. You have not been fruitful in a way that pleases God, but I will be able to do that. And actually, he's about to make the way for that to happen for all people of all time through his death and resurrection. He's about to accomplish, fulfill fully the ability for them to keep that promise in and through him. He's reducing this imagery of judgment because that's what it is, a vine and its lack of fruit and turning it into nothing and replacing it with his own ability and power and righteousness. You know, I never understood that that vine imagery was so negative, But it just really sets the context for John 15. Another couple of things I want to talk about is that the Father never cuts the vine. He never severs us from Christ. No matter what things we do to try to draw ourselves away or what's done to us, we're never separated from Christ if we're in Him by faith. You know, Jen and I, in COVID, 2020 was a difficult year for a lot of us. Um, COVID hit, and Jen and I were at home for about a month alone with kids. And we tried different things. Um, we had some Zoom youth group meetings. Those were wonderful. I know Catherine was in some of those. Those, those failed miserably, okay? So it was, it was like a month of kind of isolation. So what did we do? Well, we went and bought some tomato plants and cucumber plants. And we went out and put them in our yard on Wista Vista 317, Bobby Harmon's old house right over here. And it was cool because I'd never really been a gardener. Well, not, not, I'd never really grown anything, actually. And it was cool because those tomato plants really grew awesome. And it was amazing. They put, we put them in the soil in front, and they just grew up huge. I was really excited. Like, the kids got to see something cool from my upbringing in Iowa. Like, 
I was an agricultural state. And so it was great, especially the tomato plants. We put cucumbers on the side, tomato in front, and they grew large. And one of them in particular, I remember, we had this green thing that, you know, you put down in the ground and it grows up on it. It had like two or three secondary shoots. It was big. It was almost up to here on me. And I was really excited. It had a lot of fruit at first, but then you know what? It started to die because it wasn't able to sustain the secondary branches. Now, some of you really know this, and it, and it eventually completely died because it wasn't pruned. The fruit of those tomatoes was great at first, but then it just died because it wasn't pruned. Here's the thing. We can expect pruning. If we want intimacy with Christ, we can expect the Father to come along and snip off what needs to be cut off so that we'll produce more fruit, but really so that we'll remain in Christ. He'll cut away the secondary branches in your life. Whatever it is that you don't need to have to draw near to Christ, and that's what the Father is always doing, the hard and good, he's pointing you into Jesus, his son, so that you'll worship him and love him and honor him. I want to read to you a story that actually the kids heard at camp this year. Um, it's about Stoyan. And I just want you to think in the context of the fact that you would never ask to be pruned in this way. You would pr- probably never ask to have happened what happened to this man in this story. And yet God will do it to bring him glory. Stoyan is a person in the book Insanity of God. And this is a part of his story. Sorry, kids, you've already heard this, some of y'all. At first, he said, they held him in a secret police place in our city, and every morning one of the guards would take some of his own human waste and spread it on the piece of toast that he brought to my father for breakfast. Nine discouraging months passed with no word about his father. Swain's mother finally received notification that her husband was being transferred with a group of other prisoners to a distant labor camp, and the jailers allowed the families a one-hour visit before the transfer. Stoyan and his mother went to the well-known torture facility of the secret police on their assigned day, and they were ushered out onto a football-sized field, along with many of the other families who had come to see their beloved husbands and fathers and sons. And most of the prisoners rushed out to talk with their relatives from the other side of a long row of tables lined up to separate visitors from inmates, Stoyan recalled, but my father did not. My mother and I sat and waited. We waited for a long time. Finally, when our hour of visitation was almost up, another prisoner, evidently a trustee, walked through the visiting room door carrying what looked like a bundle of rags, and he strode toward us and laid that bundle on top of one of the tables. My mother took my hand, recalled Stoyan, and together we walked up to the table where, only because of his piercing blue eyes, did I realize that that bundle was my father. I took his hand in mine, and I put my face close to his, and I whispered, Papa, I'm so proud of you. I was 13 years old. Mama knew what my father would want most, so she slipped a little pocket testament under his wool cap, and the jailer saw what she had done. He rushed over and took the little book, and he summoned his commander, and the officer took one look at it, threw it down, stomped on it, screamed at my mother, and said, with a great crowd of onlookers. Woman, don't you realize that it is because of this book and because of your God that your husband is here? I can kill him, I can kill you, I can kill her and everyone here in your family. And it would be applauded. Stoyan was remembering something that had happened decades earlier, but he recited the next words as if they had been spoken yesterday. My mother looked at the prison officer and said, Sir, you are right. You can kill my husband. 
You can kill me, and I know that you can even kill our son, but nothing you can do will ever separate us from the love of Christ. And I was so proud of my mother. You know, that is an example of pruning. And all the lesser things that happen in your lives to draw you to Christ and those around you are pruning. He will prune you. It may be wonderful. It may be absolutely excruciating, but he will prune you so that you have intimacy with Christ. That is the reality of those who are in Christ by faith. And so that's the first thing in this passage. Intimacy with Christ is created by the Father. He's the one in the vineyard pointing people, drawing them into Christ. Now, what does that intimacy produce in our lives and in the lives of other people around the world and for all time who have known Christ as Savior? I think that's verses 4 through 10. So I'm going to read that. You can follow along with me. Verses 4 through 10. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless you abide in the vine, neither can you. Unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. And if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. What a promise. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. If the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in in his love. Intimacy with Christ produces fruit. It will produce varying levels of fruit, but it absolutely produces fruit. Now, here's the real a couple of things that I really want to note. Apart from Christ, we cannot produce fruit. We can't do anything. What does he mean by anything? Well, is it anything of spiritual value apart from Christ we cannot do? Yes. Romans seven eighteen. But there's nothing good in me that is in my flesh. Is it also anything physical that we cannot do? Absolutely. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He sustains all things by the power of his word, your breath and mine. Nothing to obey? Yes, again. <laughs> Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do good. And anything to change ourselves, can we do that by ourselves? No. Romans 12 says we put ourselves on the altar and he does the rest. When you're on that altar, your hands and feet are up there, you're there. Nothing is going on of your own doing. It is Christ doing it in you. But the fruit of what? What is the fruit that intimacy with Christ produces? And I want to walk you through my thought process because it was interesting. I think it's important, too, to do this. Is it character change? In other words, is what Christ is producing in you, kids, and me, and in everyone here who knows him, character change? Yeah, yes, but I don't think that's the core of John 15. I mean, it could be perseverance of faith, Because he does pray for that later, but I don't think that is actually it. It's too narrow. It's too narrow. This this is the last words of a dying man to his friends. Okay? Is that making disciples are people the fruit of intimacy? Maybe. I mean, people are important, and after all, Jesus is making disciples, and so will you. And we are the fruit of their making disciples, and there, there will be others who follow Christ until he comes. But again, I think that is also too narrow. And this one I almost stopped at. If you were on the mission trip to California, now that you're here and some of the adults, um, is it obedience? Because that's a big part of John 15. 
But that didn't sit too well with me. Because I'm like, he calls them friends. So is this a passage about obedience or something else? There are commands, but I, I think it's, yes, it's maybe the secondary, maybe like it's a big circle, but not the biggest. I think it's worship. I actually think it's worship, and here's why. In 1724, Jesus prays for them and for us that we may see his glory. It says the same thing here, actually. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So I think fruit bearing is dependent on worship. Worship of who? Jesus Christ. So the fruit that is produced in our lives by intimacy with Christ is worship of Christ. And I, I think also when you look at the result of his resurrection with Thomas, here, here's the big one. What is John trying to do with this passage? You know it. Some of you do. John chapter 20. Thomas is like, I'm not going to believe until he comes and touches. I'm not, I'm not doing it. But when he does, Thomas says, my Lord, my God. If that isn't an act of worship, I don't know what is. You don't call a human God. They were worshiping Jesus. And so the fruit that is produced by intimacy with Christ is primarily worship. And that's true in our lives as well. Worship is primary. It says earlier in John that the Father is seeking what? Worshipers. That's what he wants. He wants all of you. And I think that is why intimacy with Christ is so important. Because you can't have it if you're not worshiping him. I can't have it if I'm not abiding and worshiping him. We won't do it. Our lives will be joyless. And that leads me to why it is so important. Why is intimacy with Christ so important? I mean, what is intimacy with Christ? And why is it so important? Okay, verse 11. And Jesus just spells it out right here. These things I have spoken to you so that, so that your joy may be, sorry, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Joy, joy is intimacy with Christ. To the degree that you and I are intimate in a close love relationship with Christ is to the degree that you and I will experience joy. That's just reality. And fullness of joy is when we are dwelling, abiding in him. Let's look at a couple of things that support this, I think. Home, home, home. This word meno, remain, home. Be at home with me. Don't leave. It's this idea of not leaving a place. And Bob Deffenbaugh said this about home. Think about this in your own lives. Where you feel at home at. Home is where your heart is, where your desires are, the seat of your affections. And this is Bob talking. It is where you want to be, especially during the holidays. Home is the place you return to perhaps after a youth camp. When you need rest, it's where you go back to, where you long for. Yes, there's a hand there that's ready to go. <laughs> Home is a place of comfort where you can really be yourself. You can let loose. Home is a place of safety and security. Home is a place you bring your friends when you wish to have fellowship with them. Home is your base of operations, and that one particularly is important. Where do you operate out of? Christ or not? Where's your base of operations? Home is where you find your strength for life. It's where you eat and sleep. And home is the people and the things that we love the most. It's where they're found. And that's what Jesus is saying. You know, you have fullness of joy when you make your home with me. Intimacy with Christ is joy. Because we're at home and we rest. And you know, the team in California, the reason I'm preaching on this is because I really thought this. 
I don't want to be just a servant in the house of God anymore. I want to be his friend. That, <laughs> that is how I want to relate to Christ. Every day, I want to go to him for rest. I want to enter in. They said, rest with Christ and not apart. And the funny thing about that is it's absolutely true. I love it. But the reality is, is there rest apart from Christ? Absolutely not. So you can't even do the other half. You can't do it. If you're not with Christ, you have no rest now or in eternity. In fact, in eternity, you will have the opposite of rest, everlasting torment if you don't know Christ as Savior. But rest now and then is found in Christ. And those two things, home and rest, are really what I think he's saying. You know what? If you want intimacy with me, what is it? It is joy. It is rest and home in me. And I think a cool picture of this is this way. Do we, we don't become gods. We don't get the same joy because God is joy. Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity, took on flesh, and he demonstrated what fullness of joy is. We can't have that divinity of joy, but if you watch here, your hands, you know, you take them. As our hearts and our home and our desires align with God to a lesser or a greater degree, but if we're right there from his perspective, we have that same joy. So we look at the Father's pruning of our life and we agree with him it is good, even if it's painful. We agree with like that boy, that man, who was taken prisoner and suffered and ate toast with poop on it and yet could have great joy and God produced great fruit. So when our view of life aligns with his, we have fullness of joy. We can look at the world and the difficulties in our life and we can say, yes, it is good that this has happened to me. I rejoice. And Americans, myself included, are absolutely terrible at this. I even was guilty of it at camp. I'm like, man, the staff doesn't talk to us much. What a, what a sinful, terrible, complaining thing to do. I have fullness of joy when I'm right next to Christ. And that is what intimacy is. What is it? It is joy. And so I, gotta, I have a challenge here. I want you to think about where you're resting. Where's your home? Where's your base of operations? Is it in fear or in faith in Christ? Is it in sleeping more on a Sunday morning? That's not going to satisfy you. Getting any rest at all, not going to bring you joy. You're, gonna, you're not going to find real rest or abide the joy that comes from abiding in Christ by working longer or harder. You're not going to find the real rest in your marriage or your human friendships or your girlfriend or boyfriend, now that these guys are here. That is not going to bring you intimacy with Christ. It's not going to bring you joy. So come to Jesus. Abide in Him. Rest in Him and He'll bring you joy. And I, I think this, here's, a, here's a way to think about this maybe. There are joy creators, and on the other hand, there are joy killers. There are things that we do that absolutely wreck our joy in Christ. And, and sometimes they're not even sinful at the beginning. But there are also things that create joy in our lives. So what stirs up affection for Christ in you that makes you feel at home with Him as you walk this difficult life? Does your music choice feed affection for Christ and make you feel at home with him or like kind of push you away from him because you know you shouldn't be doing that. Or maybe it's just neutral, but doesn't stir up affections. I challenge you, neutrality is not good. If it doesn't stir up affection for Christ, it's not abiding in him. It's not going to produce joy. 
Does your Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, Kids Know, Crunchyroll, whatever, do those entertainment choices kill or create joy in your life? Do they create intimacy with Christ and produce joy in your life, I should have said? And if they don't, cut them out. Let the Father cut them away. Because you want intimacy with Christ that will bring you joy. Does your speech, your conduct, your clothes, your car, your income all feed joy, your money, the way you use it, or does it kill it? Because intimacy with Christ is the most important need we have, not any of those other things. I often tell my son, it is better to serve than to be served. And I need that reminder as well. <laughs> you know, Think about that. What in your life creates or kills joy? Do the things that create joy, that give you a lasting joy in Christ, that, you, that feed your affection for him, not make you want to go away from him. All right. Finally, what are the privileges and responsibilities of intimacy with Christ? So this passage, this part, I almost didn't add to my sermon today. I like a nice three points. I'm from DTS. Some of you know what that means. Great. And I wrestled with it, um, but I think it absolutely belongs. And, and here's a couple of reasons why. I'm going to read it, and then I'll talk about why I think it belongs in 1 through 17. So some of, um, yeah, let me just read it here and talk about a couple of things. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So privilege and responsibility, those, those things may seem like opposed, right? Actually, there's a lot of talk about privilege in the culture right now. Privilege and responsibility are often two sides of the same coin. Parenting. Is parenting a privilege or is it a responsibility? Or is it both? It's both. Driving a car, both a privilege and a responsibility. If you've had a wreck, you know that, <laughs> right? You can go to jail, right, for driving recklessly, a privilege and a responsibility. There are many things, money, houses, job. There are many things in life are both a privilege and a responsibility. In fact, the gospel and intimacy with Christ is actually a privilege and a responsibility, having that relationship. I mean, I'm going to touch on something that really changed my view of this and, and maybe include it here. And it's quite technical, but I think it's important and I won't go into all the technicality of it. A conditional sentence is something usually in English that we think of if. If. There are actually four kinds, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong later. Four kinds in Greek, what we would call conditional. So most of them aren't actually like if real conditions, but none of those are are what I want to talk about. Actually, there are some that are translated in ESV and many other translations as true conditions, but they aren't. And why is this? Well, a couple of reasons, but the primary one is that the, as language changes, like colloquialisms change, okay? The way we talk about things change. I had to learn what lit meant. I had to learn like 
what, what say less meant. And then it left a while later. Like some of the kids are like, say less. Andrew used to say that to me. I'm like, what? And by the time I looked it up, it's no longer used. I'm like, I say it and I look like a fool, you know, to the kids. So what's going on here? There's a certain construction in verses 12 and 17 that John uses from a, long, a Greek that was earlier that was changed by the time he wrote. But because of the way he wrote and some things that some of you know, he didn't use that way, that new way. He used the old way. And I don't know why, and this is verified in like Wallace and a lot of other places, it's, it, it is not a condition, it is an imperative. In other words, it's a command. And that changes a lot in this passage. Here's what, if you look at verse 12, uh, ESV and others, that reads, if you love me, that's wrong. It's love me. Not if they do, they're already in him, they do. To at least some degree, love me right? And keep my commandments. Verse 17, the same thing. So this is what I was like, oh man, is this true? And I prayed and I was like, okay, Lord, 12 and 17. The bookends of the end of this section both contain that same usage. It, it is not, it is not if, it is a command. And it's really like Jesus in this passage, John is recording Jesus' summations. What did I command you? That's what he's saying. Remember what I commanded you. Love me. Keep that commandment. Love me. Love other people. In verse 17. And this is important. Why? Here it is. Instead of basing my love and my obedience. In other words, do I love first or obey first? It bases my obedience and my love. My love for other people causes me to obey what Christ has said. When I worship him, when I love him, then I can obey his commandments. Love me, love others, obey my commandments. It transforms this into exactly what John is trying to say and exactly what the rest of Scripture says about salvation and sanctification. It's in a relationship, a unique friendship relationship with Christ. And this friendship, in my the title of my sermon, right, is, is unique, okay? So it's not like me and Eric or me and one of the youth kids, right? Or even me and my wife. Okay, this is a unique kind of friendship. And let me give you an example. Okay, he picked us, we didn't pick him. It says, I chose you, you didn't choose me. Well, if that happens in our friendships, that's usually an annoyance, right? Like if Alex chooses me as a friend and I'm not choosing him, I don't want to be with him, <laughs> right? Like he is trying to follow me around. That doesn't happen. I am friends with Alex, right? I'm just you. Okay? Think about that in your life. You've had people like that, right? Like, that want to be friends with you, but you haven't chosen them as friends. But in this relationship, that's the way it works. God chooses us. We don't choose him. It's a friendship that's a little bit unique and different there. Another one. It's a different purpose for the friendship. Like, I don't really tell my friends to obey me. Like, that doesn't happen. I also don't tell my friends certainly to worship me. Like that would be heresy. <laughs> like that's not what happens in our friendships. That's this friendship. But it is a friendship. And this one has another thing that I think is the most unique thing about it. If I have a friend who asks me for something, sometimes I can do it. Sometimes. A lot of times. And I really try hard with Hezekiah. Probably too much. But if he asked me something, as my son in our friendship, I'd try to do it. You know what Jesus says to us? 
You ask anything in my name and I will do it for you. What a privilege and a responsibility. If we're abiding in him, if we're at home in him, if he is living in us and we, we want to stay in him and we have that fullness of joy that is intimacy, he will do whatever we ask. You're like, oh, really? And I'm like, you bet. Lenny talked about the demoniac in Mark 5 being delivered from demons that were tormenting him for years and he couldn't even break their chains. And you know what happened the next morning was that Donnie's testimony came on of being delivered after 24 years of demon possession. And here he is sitting clothed in his right mind. And that led some kids to repent in tears and come to their counselor. We asked that God would do that. We prayed for this. You prayed for this. And God answered that right there. I'll go on. And this is a, maybe a simple one, but Abigail Wong's glasses were lost and she was having a hard time anyway away from home. She's a younger girl. And Aaron Borat prayed, I pray, God, in our staff meeting that morning, and I'm not lying, God, will you miraculously find these glasses? You know what happened a couple hours later? Was it the next morning? No, that day, that day, the glasses showed up. It was a great encouragement to her. Small thing, but that's what happens when we have intimacy with Christ, the the privilege of it for his kingdom and his glory. I'm going to go on for a second. Johnny Gibson, if you're here, Johnny, sorry to embarrass you. He trusted Christ this week. And we've been praying for that. And many other people repented of sin and wanted to know Christ more. And we've been praying for that. And you've been praying for that. I'm going to go on. Abigail Ellis. Love you, Jackson. Jackson fell on her. Not on purpose. Fell on her in the pool. She got out. Complained of back pain. They put her on a board. They called 911. An ambulance and a fire truck came. They took her to Medical City McKinney. And we actually even called the wrong parent. God help us because there were three Abigails. She came back that night, completely unharmed. The, the driver of that ambulance, his name was Jackson also. Aaron got to witness as she rode in the front to him. He said he wants to come be a part of a community of Christ. None of the parents were mad. It brought our camp together. It's pruning. You see that? It's pruning. I didn't want it to happen. I was in there working on my sermon, and I'm like, why does this have to happen? Why now? I'm like, I'm going to fail. I'm going to look like a fool in front of the whole church. That was sinful. I, the Lord was using this passage in my life at that very moment. And I know he's done that for you. Think about that. He was pruning us and he answered prayer, multiple prayers. And I just, I could go on. You know, the price of my house being reduced, we rent our house 30% in a time when people are bidding each other like raising it 30%. That's an answer to prayer. You prayed for that. Praise God. I mean, you can go on and on in your life and in ours. Intimacy with Christ has privilege of prayer and the responsibility of prayer. I pray for myself and you that we would understand that and we would get on our knees more because God wants to work and he'll do it when we're abiding in him, when we're at home in him. He loves to do that for his children. We're his friends, not servants. He wants you to be his friend in his house not just a servant. He wants to talk to you. And then and one final one. It's a different kind of community. It's one in which we get a bunch of other friends that we want or don't want, maybe to varying degrees, and we're commanded to love them. And it might be hard. I, it is hard. I'm hard to love. You're hard to love at times. But it's a community. We get a different kind of one where we're commanded to love and there's a bond of unity in Christ that is filled with love. A different kind of community.
It's a unique one, a privilege and responsibility in that community to build one another up, to encourage one another, to love and good deeds, etc. And so I think this just absolutely fits with what is going on in Jesus' life at that time. These are my last words to you. I'm about to die. Abide in me. And whatever you ask, I'll give to you. The privilege and responsibility of that unique friendship, that unique relationship to Jesus. And I just got to say, I think in all of our lives, that he wants intimacy and friendship with you. Not just then, it's not just me, it's you. Each one of us, he wants that. It's available by faith in Christ alone, not by works, lest anyone should boast. It's available for you. Intimacy with Christ can happen now. He sent the Spirit so that we'd feel it and have the power to live it. He promised it. He always follows through on his promises. And here's the challenge to that. If you're not experiencing this kind of joy that intimacy is, there's only two options. One, you're not in Christ. You're not in the vine. Or you're not abiding in the vine. Those are it in my mind. So what needs to change? I mean, abide in him. See his glory. Worship him. Come to him. Pray to him. Taste and see that I am good. Taste and see that I am good. And so from John chapter 15, we think about intimacy with Christ. We saw that God the Father prunes us and he pushes us to Christ. So God is the one doing it. We saw that it produces the fruit really of worship and then secondarily obedience because it's worship first, love first, obedience second, but they're both there in John 15. And then we saw that the reason is that we can have fullness of joy. Isn't that wonderful? Like, it's not so that we're just his servants. It's that we're joyful friends in the house of God. And then, then we can ask things of him and he will deliver them. And finally, I talked about the kind of unique privileges and responsibilities we have. It's a different kind of friendship. We don't command our friends. He commands us, but it is a friendship nonetheless. Um, you know, I just want to say what they said to us. Rest with Jesus today as his friend and not apart from him as his enemy in the house of God. All right, let's pray, and then we're going to have the camp video. Again, it's about 13 minutes. After that happens, you'll be dismissed. We'll be replaying the video in the parlor, and there's food in the gym. Kids, you can meet your parents and go back home. So, Father, we just ask that you would prune in us and create this kind of intimacy that only you can do, that, that is only available in Christ. And if anyone here doesn't know you, I pray that they would seek out that true friendship relationship with you by faith in you, Jesus, alone. And that if they are struggling with this joy, if their joy meter is low, and they are not experiencing joy, that they would come to you and make their home in you, Jesus. And that if we are, that you would just encourage us to continue to do so, despite life's hardships, despite struggles, persecution, famine, trial, sword, Lord, that you would encourage us to do that more and more in Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.